So this morning I want to talk about playing the long game. Playing the long game. I, f- I felt when I was uh, on leave, this is one of the preach topics that I have. That's, oh, there we go, there's Brandon and Chantel in the church there. Fantastic. And uh, I, felt, I, felt, I felt that we've got to orientate ourselves for the long haul. And so I started asking God, what does it mean to, to play the long game? What does it mean to live for the long haul? And uh, realizing that our life on earth also is so momentary in the scale of the bigness of the universe. Absolutely just a little blip in the, just a moment. And what do, what do we do in our moment that we have... And how do we live a life that will actually help us live for the long haul? Are we building building our lives for the long game? And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 7 from verse 24 through to 27. Matthew 7 verse 24 to 27. He says, Therefore anyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. This is a man that's building for the long game, playing the long game. The winds come, the streams come, they beat, the rain comes, and the house stands. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the rain came and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house, it fell with a great crash. This is a man, when you listen to the words of Jesus and obey the words of Jesus and put the words of Jesus into practice, you live for the long game. This is what I'm getting at. It can be said, Paul says it like this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be should be built with care. But each one should build with care, sorry. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ah, so building for the long game means you need a foundation. And there's no other foundation other than Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test each man's or each person's work. So the first text is you've got to build your you build your house on the rock. You've got to dig deep. You've got to dig deep. Never before, I, I don't know, well, certainly in my lifetime. It seems to be getting worse. We have to dig deep. We've got to dig onto the rock. You've got to go down. You've got to get dig deep. And you've got to allow God to do in you so that your life is founded on the rock. And your house, when the streams come and the rains come and the wind comes, they can stand firm. And Paul says, actually, there's no other foundation other than Christ. So this foundation that is built upon the rock is built upon Jesus. And unless our lives are built upon Jesus, everything else shakes and will shake to the point of destruction other than Christ. And then he says, actually, when you build upon that foundation, you must be careful how you build. So you can build on the foundation of Christ, but what I build on top of Christ, wood, hay, or straw, or gold, silver, and costly stones. So it matters what you build on, 
and it matters what you build with in the kingdom of God. And these are two examples of what it means to build for the long haul, what it means to build long term, what it means to think generationally when you are building. Are we thinking about our children's children with the way we're living now and the decisions we're making now? Because we can establish a rock, we can establish a foundation in our family that our children's children can benefit from if we're building with Jesus and building upon that rock. Do we believe that? I mean, this really is a whole series of preachers. But I want to talk about two aspects of building for the long game, one of them being joy and the other one being hope. And one of the, one of the things that we've got to do when we, if we want to build for the long game is we've got to learn to stay in hope and to find joy. When we lose hope and joy, things crumble. Joy simply is not some emotion. Joy has got something to do with a deep satisfaction and contentment that is within us, a peace that is within us, which actually can only be found in Christ. And hope is, a, is an anticipation or expectation for good. And we have an anticipation and we have an expectation for good because we serve a good God. So both joy and hope are founded in Jesus, are found in Jesus. And what happens when we want to build for the long game? If we build with any other, these are costly stones. These are the silver and gold aspects. Some of the silver and gold of what we need to do if we want to build in the long game that we need to have. Romans chapter 12 verse 12 says this. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction or suffering. And faithful in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 before I get there, joyful and hope. It's incredible how Scripture often puts joy and hope together. And both of those come through faith in Christ. So I want to talk about an aspect of this joy and hope that we have. In fact, I think it probably is, probably is the greatest robbing or robber of joy and hope in our lives. It's the word ends. You know, life, I once did a preach on a theology of loss. Do we have a theology of loss? You know, life, life is, a, is, a, is moment by moment finding joy in Christ, being found upon the rock. But so much of our life, friends, our joy and our hope gets robbed because we can't bring seasons to an end. And ends are, ends, ends anything, things, for there to be a new beginning, there has to be an end. Jesus lived, he died, and then he, it always says, and he was buried. I often thought, buried, and then he rose again. I often think, why does it say he's buried? What does buried mean? Like part of the thing is, lived, died, buried, raised, ascended. Buried. You know why I think the scriptures put buried in there? It's to make us remember that Jesus died. There was an end. Something ended so that new life could be birthed. 
And life is about, in fact, nature knows this. Seasons and the springs and autumns are transitions from one ending season to another season beginning. It's life is this, is this continual and perpetual beginnings and ends that happen all through our lives. And what happens, friends, is those ends rob us of our joy and our hope. Because what we come up with, we think an end is the end of us. Rather than the end of a season or an end of a moment. And ends can be anything. Ends can be a death. Death is a, is a final end. The grieving process of losing somebody close to you that you love is a very difficult end. It's an end where you have to open your hands and let go of this person that's been influential in your life, that you've loved, that's loved you, and you think, how am I ever going to get through this? And what happens is, when we don't grieve with hope, 1 Thessalonians says, we don't grieve like the world does, we grieve with hope. What happens is we stay in this, in the, it, it makes it a very difficult grieving process, let's put it that way. What's another kind of an end? An end is a retrenchment. You lose your job. What about, what about having kids? You know that that's an end for a mom. You know that, uh, what's, it, uh, what's it called? A dinky, double income, no kids. Ends. Sunday afternoon sleeps. End. Sleep in general. Ends. And your life gets consumed with this little life that you've been given as a gift. And some moms battle to transition through that end into the new beginning. What about when kids leave home? It's an end. Lots of ends in our lives. What about battling to have children? It's so difficult. It's so painful. Keep trusting God. What about just, just the way things used to be end? And friends, what happens is we get robbed of our joy and our hope. Ends. We don't, differ, we don't deal well with ends. We don't do well with endings. In fact, when we have, particularly in Western culture, we don't, have, we don't have memorial services or funerals. We have celebrations. You know why we have celebrations? Because we can't deal with ends. The Bible says there's a time to mourn and there's a time to celebrate. And you've got to mourn well. And it's great to have not a morbid part of that is you don't want a morbid funeral service where you're like just beating yourself. It's terrible. You want there to be life. But friends, that doesn't stop us from having a proper end. We've got to learn to do ends well as believers. And what we do is because we don't like it and it's so difficult, we deny it. We go through all the kind of grieving processes, denying and blaming, avoiding. We get angry. We isolate ourselves and we distance ourselves from people. It's the worst thing we can do. We rationalize it. We come up with all sorts of spiritual shortcuts that never really get to the heart of the issue. Find ways to 
Instead of allowing God to open our hands and let it end. You know what we do when we get to ends that we can't deal with? We medicate it. You might not do it intentionally, but you start drinking more. You go through self-destructive, compulsive, addictive behaviors because you're battling with the end. And if we're building for the long haul, friends, we've got to learn to do ends well in Christ. Imagine if Jesus didn't end, we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit. There needed to be an end of Jesus' personal um, humanity, human life on earth so that he could be seated at the right hand of the Father, that the Holy Spirit could come. You see, new beginnings always need ends. And what's incredible about endings is that there's a new beginning around the corner. There's a resurrection life around the corner. But we've got to learn to take the corner and not go off the road. Friends, the world is changing so quickly and is so complex, we're going to have to deal with more endings than we care to want. It's part of life. I wonder, Heather and I, when we talk to parents about what's your number one parenting tip, here it is. You're going to love it. Teach your kids to suffer well. I'm not joking. Teach your kids to suffer well. Teach your kids to grow through disappointment. We've, we, we've got to learn to do ends. Cameron was dropped from the under 15A. Water polo team this year. I was cross. More than him, probably. Because he was too short. But you know what, friends? I've got to teach him that an end can come, but a new beginning can come also. The end of you being dropped from the team is not the end of your life. It's not the end of the call of God over your life. It's not the end of you. It's just an end of a season. We've got to learn to do ends well. You know one of the greatest way to, or mindsets that we need to do an end well? It's the understanding that we are stewards. The opposite of stewardship, I think, probably could be entitlement. Entitlement. You've got the title deeds. You, 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 I'm entitled. I've got the, why, I need the title. I need the title deeds. I'm due it. Friends, everything that we have, we are stewards of. And when we realize we're stewards, we can do ends way better. When we've got the worldview that actually everything I have, Jesus has given me, the very breath that I breathe, thank you, Jesus. We live in an attitude of gratitude. We live in this incredible sense of, God, we are stewards of all that we have. Thank you. I want to tell you a couple of stories just to show how some people ended well. Let me start with this one. Graham and Emmy Tedder. Ends are hard. Ends are painful. Ends have got sadness in them. I know that. 
Graham and Emmy Tedder fell pregnant. They had a boy. It was born with half a heart. Or had half a heart. They found out. The doctor said, he's got half a heart. heart. He won't live. You can abort him. Graham and Emmy decided not to do that because they were not the givers or the takers of life. That was their conviction. And, that, and Emmy carried Ryder to full term. She gave birth to him, named him Ryder Tedder. She held him in her arms for two hours, and he died. Friends, we don't know how long we've got our kids with us. Stewards of life. But what's incredible, friends, is they see this as an absolute gift from God that they were able to have two hours with their boy. Because two hours with their boy was better than no hours with their boy. Ends. There's a farmer in Zimbabwe. Ian Whedon tells the story. His, his, I can't remember his first name, but his name was Brown, like, Brown, like Farmer Brown, fully Farmer Brown. And uh, he, had got, he had bought the farm in 1980. This was in the 2000s now, land invasions, war vets, and all that kind of stuff. And when he bought the farm, he had permission from the government because you had to kind of, with a, did the government want this farm? They said, no, 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 we don't want it. You can buy it. He paid for the farm. The farm was really underdeveloped. He developed the farm, poured his life into the farm, grew the farm, had his children, had his family on the farm. The kids were educated through the farm. And eventually, to mid-2000s, the war vets were coming and going to take his farm. And uh, he was in the church in Harare, and he said to Ian Whedon, please, can you come? I want to have a celebration service at the farm. Ian came to the farm, and uh, they were kneeling on the lounge floor, just thanking God. Ian looked out the window, and the gardener that had worked there for 30, 25 years was busy cutting the garden, cutting the grass. The Vorwets, they, they had to be out. This was the Sunday. They had to be out by like the Wednesday. And Ian said to Farmer Brown, he said, Listen, this thing is going. You, why are you still paying staff and why are you cutting the grass? He said this. This is challenging. He said, you know what? I know that I paid for this farm, but I know this God gave me this farm. And he asked me to steward this farm and to look after this farm. And in doing that, God blessed me and he blessed my family. Until I leave this farm, I will steward this right to the very end. Pay all the staff and make sure that everything is square. His son, his son was, but dad, can't you just take the, the air cons out and start, when they come and they're going to strip everything, he said, boy, God gave me this. God gave me this. I will steward it to the end. It was never mine. I don't care that I paid for it. It was never mine. I got the benefit of using it for the season. When we finished, I'm going to hand it over, walk out, and I'm going to thank God for everything he did on that farm. 
He left Zimbabwe, he came down to South Africa. He lost most of what he had. But he lived a life full of joy and hope and contentment for the rest of his life. And he became a bringer of life to all those around him. There were other people, other farmers that were in Zimbabwe that went through the same process and had this deep pain and anger of being violated, robbed, the unfairness, the unjust, injustice of, of all that they went through, and they became bitter and twisted for the rest of their lives. Farmer Brown understood stewardship so he could end well. We are stewards of everything God's given us. If we forget we are stewards, when we undergo ends or we suffer loss, we lose our joy and our hope. Let me tell you another story. Yesterday, we were at the memorial service of Elijah Songjitra. Elliot and Dolly were in, elders in this church. He was at a Tembeleti. He was adopted as a little boy. His name was Tulani. They changed it to Elijah. He wasn't going to be the quiet one. He was going to be the voice of God. A year ago, he drowned in the sea down the coast. Ends are difficult. Ends are difficult to speak about and ends are difficult to listen to. And at the memorial service yesterday, because they didn't find his body, his mom got up and she told the story of when he became old enough to be aware that he was adopted and that Dolly wasn't his real mom. And he started becoming angry at the rejection of his biological mom. Now remember this, Elijah, when he, the reason how he came to Tembeletu, he was found on the side of the road in a black plastic bag. He was rescued, brought to Tembeletu, nursed back to health, and was adopted by the Sanjikas. And Dolly tells this unbelievable story of this young man, where he was wrestling with this ability, Lord, how do I forgive? How do I, how do I get through the fact that my biological mom rejected me? You know what his reasoning was? You know how he got through that? As a teenager, He said this to Dolly. He said, Mom, you know what? I look at everything that I've got. I look at you. I look at Dad. I look at my sister. I look at the life we have in God. I look at the joy we have in our family. And that would never have happened if I wasn't abandoned by my biological mom. And so actually I've got no reason not to forgive my mom for what she did to me. You see, friends, the way we deal with ends either make us or break us. The way we deal with the endings of our lives, the losses in our lives, either shape us for something usable in God's hands or not. And one of the great things that we can do in building for the long term and building for the long haul is to make sure that we 
do ends well. You know, friends, hope is a very, very powerful thing. If you lose hope, concentration camps, the, um, uh, what's his name? I've just forgotten now. Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl was a psychiatrist in the concentration camps. And he had this one thing. He said the, those that made it were not the fit and the strong. Those that made it through the concentration camps were those that had hope. They had hope. They had an expectation for something good. They had an expectation that actually there was something beyond the suffering and this tragedy. There was more. You see, friends, that's what Jesus gives us. We don't live for 70 or 80 years. We live for eternity with him. Even if for 70 or 80 years, it's not like we expect. We've got life abundant with him. See, our hope and our joy doesn't come only from this place. It comes from an expectation of good to come for an eternity. But we can expect God to, to as we walk with him, to find deep contentment, deep joy, and profound hope in this very life that we live. You see, friends, our joy and our hope, what is your joy and your hope in? If your joy and your hope is in the government of South Africa, we're in trouble. If your joy and your hope is in the finances or the money in your bank, you're going to be in trouble at some stage. If your joy and your help is in, what is it in? Anything other than Jesus will be shaken apart eventually. I want to call you to put your hope back in Jesus and find your joy back in the Spirit of God. Gary Besaden told me a story the other night and I went onto the internet to check it out and see if it was true. It kind of seems like there is a story there. But it, boy, does it preach well. In the 1950s, an experiment was done on rats. Quite an inhumane experiment on animals. And uh, what they did, they used kind of domesticated rats and wild rats, the first part of it. And they, they put the domesticated rats in, the, in, the, in, a, in things of water to see when they would drown. And you would think, well, the wild rats, they're stronger, they're fitter, they're healthier, they kind of, you know, actually they would last much longer. They actually didn't. The domesticated rats lasted much longer than the wild rats. And it, it kind of got a, a, a thought going in his mind. The reason is, is they've been nurtured and taken care of. They've got hope. So what they did, they took it one step further. They took a rat, put it in water, and within 14 or 15 minutes, the rat died, drowned. The next one, as I said, a little bit inhumane. Sorry for those rat-friendly people. I know they like pets nowadays. Like, I can't get that, but they're pets. <laughs> and um, 15 minutes. They got, took another rat, put it in the water, and at 14 minutes, or whatever the time was, they took the rat out the water, cleaned it up, washed it out, hair dryer, got it all nice and cozy, and gave it some food, and then they put it back in the water. How long do you think that rat lasted? 60 hours. 15 minutes, 60 hours. Why? Hope. It knew it had been rescued. And so there was an expectation and anticipation of being rescued again, of good. And I tell that story, friends, purely this. 
If we want to build for the long haul, you've got to find joy and hope and everything else any, on, on Christ and not on anything on this world because it will disappoint. And I feel like God, as he's calling us this morning for, Lord, we're desperate for you, for more of you. Part of that reality is this, is that he wants us to put his joy, find our joy in him and put our hope in him. Because when we do, we can build for the long haul. That is probably one of the greatest things we can give our, our kids, friends, is to give them an ability to find joy and hope outside of the structures of this world and put it into Jesus and begin to build their lives on the rock, to dig deep, build on the rock, and begin to walk into life with that rock because that rock walks with you. Jesus walks with you wherever you go. We're building for the long haul, friends. Joy and hope are key. The way we deal with ends is absolutely key. And maybe there's some people here, you know, you know, the, you know what unforgiveness is? It's something that should have ended that you won't let end. And you suffer. Not the person you need to forgive, you suffer. You see, ends, forgiveness is an end. That's why you can't live in the kingdom of God. You can't express and live in that space with unforgiveness. There's some ends that need to end so that a new beginning can start. And when we don't live in forgiveness, what we're actually do, doing is we're limiting the new beginning that God wants us to give us. My hope and my trust and my prayer today is the Spirit of God, as we hunger for more of Him, will help us to end things so that new beginnings can start. Help us to find joy and hope in the right places that we can live and pass on an inheritance to our children and live a life that God wants us to be, to be the light, shining lights in this world where there is a lot of darkness so that we can bring the joy, we can bring those, be those of joy and hope to the world. Let's end well. Let's find joy and hope. Let's build for the long haul. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs>